if you uh, if you could magically invent a drug that could uh, put you in any sort of mood, what mood would that be? The one I'm in. Which is? I'm happy. I'm content. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Worrell from Bigelow, welcoming you to our next episode of the Positive Enterprise Value Podcast. Today, I'm psyched to have as my guest Ken Johnson from MAS Medical. Ken and his partner, Jay Hamill, owned and ran MAS Medical for the last 20 years, building it into a very well-known and respected medical staffing business serving the Northeast and the Middle Atlantic states. Jay and Ken uh, built the business basically from scratch. They were both executive recruiters in the IT area, and when that business got exploded during the 2001 when the bubble burst, they sat down, looked at each other, and started the staffing business, essentially from taking second mortgages on their homes, lending the business some money, and getting started, investing in themselves and hoping they would be able to make it work. 20 years later or so, uh, they engaged Bigelow, and we helped them with architecting the recapitalization of MAS Medical by Periscope Equity. Uh, And Jay Hamill was able to transition quickly out of the business, while Ken stayed on as a principal stockholder, and I would call him executive chairman, although I don't know if that's exactly his uh, title at this point. Ken relates to us very candidly and uh, very humorously a lot of the opening chapters of MAS Medical, some of the challenges that they had, with the market and their products, their services, along with some of the ways they stubbed their toe along the way. You'll also hear some of Ken's really interesting perspective of how he and Jay decided to um, think about capturing their capital gain that they worked so hard to build and ultimately chose Bigelow to help them do that. This uh, particular interview is just a little bit more uh, focused on the actual capital gain transaction than some because the capital gain transaction took place recently and I wanted to just uh, tap into Ken's knowledge while it was fresh. I hope you enjoy it. So um, first of all, Ken, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate your commitment to, to us and to our relationship and also to the listeners who are mostly entrepreneurs or would be entrepreneurs who are going to learn so much from our discussion, mostly from you. Well, it's my pleasure. I really look forward to this. Great. Well, so let me let me kick off our, our dialogue by asking you, so um, if you could use a word or two or, you know, how many ever you want to describe what you do, if you were describing to somebody, one of your kids or one of their friends or something like that, how would you describe what you do? What words would you use? What I do? Uh, well, at work... I'm an innovator, a change agent. Um, I lead the company and am constantly trying to think of what's the next step while others manage the operations. I don't, I'm not particularly effective at that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look down the road and figure out what kind of changes do we need to make um, so that we can keep evolving. I believe strongly that, that we've got to keep continuously evolve um so you just said like on operations i'm not particularly effective at that but i'm going to challenge you there because you ran operations of a business for a really long time mm-hmm. and made it into a really super successful business that's recently been recognized by other outside investors as being a super successful business so do you mean it's operations is not where you view your own unique ability I think I'm a. I think I'm a pretty good leader. I think I'm not a good manager. I don't have. I don't have follow through. Now I've got a, a management team that does. So together as a group, we all together run a company well. Um, but not me. And and with your recent uh, recapitalization with Periscope Equity, mm-hmm. are you planning on enhancing that management team to talk about? the issues that you and I were just were in terms of operations? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the biggest change that um, will launch us forward. Um, we're we're going to get uh, a CEO. We've already 
identified or I don't think it's public, so um, not sure when you'll when you edit this and put it up. But but we've got a CEO that we're really really excited about starting the end of October. Wow, um, that, again, that was quick. Yeah. So when was the actual effective date of the recapitalization? May twenty seventh. So six months later, possibly yeah. you have a CEO in place. Yeah, they they started the search before before they even officially bought the company, because you know everybody knew up front that that's what they were going to need, um, and they, it was a it was an exhaustive search. Uh, but there was one candidate that just jumped out, and uh, we locked onto her, and 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 just recently it all worked out. Well, really I have so excited. many questions I want to ask you about that because that's a, yeah. that's thrilling. So you you went into. Uh, for the purposes of the other listeners, so like the listeners uh, will find out that you know, uh, MAS Medical had a recapitalization with Periscope Equity in May, and you went into it, I think, feeling like part of what you wanted to achieve through this recapitalization was having new talent brought into the business in the form of a CEO, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this is like I, actually your idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. As you know, if I look at the company and where we are, and most importantly, what we need to do going forward uh, to continue the success, uh, we we need a new CEO with a different skill set than mine. Listen, I've I've got a lot of self confidence, and I felt I know I added a lot of value for the first twenty years. But I also feel strongly that the skill sets that are going to take this company forward. Are just different than what I bring to the table. And um, now as a primary investor in the company, uh, if I'm invested, well, I am invested in MAS, I don't want me as a CEO. I mean, I, I, I did fine and I'll continue to do fine, but we can find somebody better. I, in fact, I, I'm sure we just did. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Ken. Yeah. So you, you really uh, transitioned yourself from being the owner manager into being, thinking like just an owner. Yeah. And thinking, who do I want to have as the best manager yeah. for this business? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. So let me go back to the first question I asked you. Was I asked you to think of some words that you would use to describe yourself. And what, you used some words, but you didn't use the word entrepreneur. But when I think of you, I think of you as an entrepreneur. Would you use that word? Yeah, certainly. I would say um, an accidental entrepreneur. Um, I love that role. I love what I do. But... You know, I got into it by accident. I got into it because, um, you know, we were working at a high-tech recruiting firm in the early 2000s, and that world just collapsed. And, and I had a job, but I didn't have a paycheck. It, you know, we were fully paid on commission, and um, I didn't have any marketable skills. Um, so I have a strong work ethic and a curious mind, and and I'm and uh, pretty easy with a conversation. But that's about it. Um, so. We, we thought of all kinds of different things and just and thought of medical staffing as something we could just use brute force and get into. There were no barriers to entry at the time. There is now with technology and, um, you know, remortgaged the house and, and did it, but, but, but not because it was plan A. It was really the only, I, I was the only person that would hire me. <laughs> so, so say more about that. So you, you were in the recruiting business, and yep. many people may not remember, but you and I do, that there was a sort of a, a crash in the technical in the technology area right then. Mm -hmm. The dot-com uh, bubble burst, and things kind of stopped for a period of time. Yep. And you were you thinking to yourself, literally what you said, hey, I need a paycheck, so I have to go create some value so that I can get a piece of that value that I bring? Yeah, I, I mean, I hadn't thought through the creating value and, and you know, recapitalization and that. I, I w it was really much more basic than that. I have a family with four kids and a wife, and um, uh, they're all active, and they like to, to live in a house and wear clothes and eat food <laughs> and, um, and play travel soccer and so forth. So... Um, so I just I was I was desperate. You know, we had gone through savings. Being a high tech recruiter through the in the nineties, we, we made good money, and we had we had built a house and we were doing fine. But then you know you just said it. That world stopped. Yes. I mean, it just stopped. And so the first thing you do, or the first thing we did, is you hold your breath and wait for it to come back. But it wasn't coming back. Not at the speed I needed it to. We worked through the savings. Um, you know, I sheltered Sue's and the kids from a lot of that. Be, Mostly because not because they couldn't handle it, they certainly could, but I, I probably couldn't handle telling them. Yeah. Um, 
but then then we came up with this idea and like I said remortgaged the home um, and just put everything into it bought a list of, bought a list of all the nurses in New Hampshire came up with some gimmick that you know if you work a thousand hours we'll pay a thousand dollars we didn't know where we were gonna find them work we do, our, our, our thought was let's just get nurses let's talk to nurses let's get nurses let's promise them that we'll find them per diem work and then let's actually do that and um, because we knew there was a nursing shortage there was then there is now so the thought that you know the market research was all right there seems to be a market here there wasn't a market for for you know the tech guys anymore so uh, so we switched so did you ever I mean some people who are listening to this Ken or maybe in the technology business where their first thing would be to have that idea, but then they would go out and raise capital from other people. Mm -hmm. Did you ever consider doing that? No. Because? Um, well, we I don't think we needed a lot of capital, and, and it would probably be embarrassed. I would be a little bit uncomfortable with that, like hitting family and friends for money. Um, that would have been tough to do and and at the end of the day we didn't need it. it 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 wasn't capital intensive to get into it yeah we each put in twenty five thousand. initially there were four of us so 100 grand and then and then it started hitting and we needed cash to cover payroll and the two two of the guys were were, were not actively involved they were investors and we said okay we need another I don't know what it was, 150,000. They said, okay, I don't know where you're going to find that, but we're out. Okay. You know, you've got what you're going to get from us. So Jay and I just put the, you know, I took out whatever it is, another 67,000 out of the home. And, um, and that would, but that was it. That was all that was available. So that was going to have to do. And it did. And then it was funny. Then we still needed cash as we grow. You need cash. And I remember um, talking to Mike, who was one of the other owners, and saying, oh, God, we need cash. I gotta, I'm going to go to the bank. And he said, you can't go to the bank. They're, they're not going to give you money because you, you, you need it. They only give money to people that don't need it. And, and, I, and I was like, well, wait a minute. Well, that's what a bank does. I'm going to the bank. It's not like I'm going to ask them for shoes. I'm going to go to a bank and see if they'll give us money. And they would. It, yeah. it, wasn't, that, it wasn't that crazy. Yeah. We gave them the, the uh, accounts receivable as collateral, and we got a line of credit. And, and, and since then, everything's been fine. So you called yourself an accidental entrepreneur. Before that, you formed MAS. Were you working for a firm that someone else owned? Yeah. We were working for a company called MAS New Hampshire. So we're not even creative with the name. And that was the high-tech recruiting firm. Um, before that, I had a company that did fire sprinkler solutions. It, it, it didn't work out. So I've always been a small company type. I enjoy working for myself um, from you know, being a paper boy on. So maybe it's not as accidental as I, as I said initially. Yeah, I'm interested in that because uh, uh, you said you were the accidental entrepreneur, but really what it sounds like is that you were the entrepreneur who accidentally was an employee for a while. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I just wasn't cut out to work for somebody else. So that's what, the only choice left was to be an entrepreneur. Were you a good employee when you were working for other people? No, I got fired from my first job. Um, working for Tandy Radio Shack Computer Center. Um, Why did you get fired? Uh, I like to say for doing too well, but basically I, um, it, w it was retail computers in the mid-'80s. It was go-go. We were in Nashua, New Hampshire, right over the tax border, and I worked. Uh, technically, the answer is uh, falsifying timesheets, but I worked between Thanksgiving and Christmas every day. I was one year out of school. I didn't have kids. I, did, I yeah. probably wasn't even married at the time. Yeah. So it was just I didn't have anything else to do. So I literally worked every single day, and I probably put on the time card for those five weeks, you know, 70 hours or something, and I made a bunch of money just we were selling. So then the security guy for Tandy comes in and says, this is, you, you didn't work nine to nine or whatever every single day but luckily they had um i remember they had a key entry system and i would always open the store and always lock it and it was my code that did it because i was just there building and making computers and selling computers and they saw the code it turned out um that i did falsify the timesheets but they owed me i don't know three or four thousand dollars because i had i had cut myself short was that would that have been 83 or 84 or Somewhere in there. So no, no, no. I graduated in '86, so it would have been like '87 or '88. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. so like Tandy and Computerland yep. and all those places were hot. Computerland right? was next door. Computer Mart across the street. Right. We were Tandy, and it right. was a battle. Yeah, yeah. It was God. That was fun. I, I was the second highest salesman in the company behind some guy in Fort Worth, Texas. No kidding. Where they started. Wow. Yeah. That 
I mean, I, I just worked all day every day. Did you ever run into the guys who owned that computer land? No, not that I remember. They were good friends of ours. Um, okay. Their clients, Steve Watson. Oh. And who, uh, yeah, who, who owned a bunch of computer lands before he ultimately uh, sold those. And he went to run computer land uh, corporate marketing. Okay. Uh, he's still a good friend. Good, yeah. Great guy. So, so you, you get fired for working too hard. And um, you, though, must have actually ended up in that job by feeling pretty confident about your ability to make some stuff happen. Where did you go from there? Yeah, from there, I went after I got fired. I went to Charles Aho and Associates, which was Charles Aho. I was the associate. Was that the building guy? Yeah, yeah, out in New Ipswich. Yeah, yep. He had um, he was a structural engineer. He's part of that family. Yeah, and we were selling CAD systems, or we we came up with a plan to sell CAD systems. So I was a sales guy, um, and we were selling components. And and from there, I met a guy named Roland, and we started. We were selling something called VersaCan. We came up with a program that would design fire sprinkler systems. Um, so we had a little run that was pretty good. For a few years, we were up and down the East Coast selling these CAD systems for like $25,000 a pop. And we did pretty well with that. But then that reset, that would have been the early 90s, that building recession that yeah. hit. Yeah. And here again, it, it, it wiped out our sales. And, I say we sold the company, but I think we really just gave the, the software to one of our clients. And so as you think back on that now, did you take any lessons away from that? Um, we, nothing that jumps to mind. We were a product company and we were niche. And, and I would say you know, at current MAS, we have four business lines. We're, we're, we're more diverse, and that's probably yeah. partly as a result of that. Right. Sometimes we get a lot of advice that says, listen, focus on what you do well and, and um, just pick one of these things and do it. But, but I like that we do now four different things. When all four are hitting, it's great. Even when three out of the four are hitting, it's, it's really great. But it gives us that, that flexibility. Did you own businesses as a kid? I owned a paper route yeah. when I was like 12. You had to buy it from the, the kid, what, did, seven yeah. years older yeah. that, that, that sold it. And I remember and, loving that. Then were your parents entrepreneurs? Nope. Nope. My dad, well, my dad was, went to a little company, um, Ivy Biomedical. He just retired at like the age of 78. So I definitely got my work ethic from him. Um, my mom was, was a stay-at-home mom, and then she worked at a law firm doing some, some billing. But the answer is no, not really. So um, let's chat a little bit about the uh, building of MAS and how that happened. So uh, you came out of the early 90s, sorry, the 2001 recession, and you started building the business and you started placing nurses. And when you first started that business and you put the money into it and then the second round of money into it, were you still thinking that this was a job that you were creating for yourself or were you beginning to think about, oh, okay, this is a viable sustainable business so, no at that point when we got that second round of money um, I thought we, we were probably onto something interestingly the two guys that didn't put in the money basically their thought was there's too many pigs in the trough this will never be big enough for four owners you know this, this is this will be cute for the two of you and um, and it became much more than that so um, we, as we grew, we've always been a growth company. It's all we think about. It's all we talk about. We measure billable hours every week. And, and all we're thinking about is how do we grow, 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 grow. And I, and I remember having the plan at some point. Somebody told me, God, it must be 15 years ago, that um, if you get to, I think it was $3 million of profit, then you can sell it for 20 you know, some kind of easy multiple. And I said, all right, well, it's a long way from here, but let's let's get going. Um, we grew into Rhode Island. We grew geographically. We added the business units, and it was all about just more, more, more. How do we grow, grow, grow? But that's an important point you just made. That mm -hmm. I think that many entrepreneurs actually don't think about that, which is at some point you thought, if we grow, 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 and some of that growth goes to the bottom line, we're actually creating something here, mm -hmm. which has got a capital gain value. Mm -hmm. Were you, were you focused on that? Yeah, I'm, um, absolutely. So there was two philosophies. One of them, 
and and this is this is where so there was a few owners and I was pretty much on an island with this thought that my my thought was we got to grow at speed and then and let profitability catch up to us because because as you're growing um, your 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 assets aren't being um, you've got extra assets right because you got to grow into them so your expenses are higher so you're not at optimum profitability optimum profitability is having every asset being used hundred percent and if you do that that's great but you can't grow so we would constantly try to hire ahead and, and rent ahead and we just got space and got people and we're never unprofitable, but weren't particularly profitable. But what the idea was to grow at speed. And then my plan was to grow as quick as we could to this, you know, level. And then, and then, and then the profitability will just catch up to us and boom. But, um, the others were thinking the opposite. Wait a minute, this has got to pay us first. We've got to, we've got to get the money out. We've got to go this when I remember wanting to get into home care, now it's too hard, it's too tricky, and just getting a lot of resistance with that philosophy. And at the time, I didn't, I mean, no, nobody knew which one would be right. Right. But I've got, I, can, I, can, I am pretty forceful with when I want to get my way, and I just, I just did it my way, and, um, which probably isn't you know, the best thing in a, in a really uh, healthy partnership, but that's the way I did it. So, so um when you describe what you just did about the growth, I mean, in a way, you you and I have seen people cr uh, draw an arc when they consider growth, but we know it's not really an arc, is it? It's mm -hmm. more like stair steps, mm -hmm. right? So what you, I think, embedded in what you just said is you actually invested in the locations and the people mm -hmm. first, and then you were trying to make the revenue catch mm -hmm. up to that, mm -hmm. feeling hopeful that the profitability would catch up. Yep. You just touched on something I'm really proud of. We have our, our we, like I said, we measure our billable hours every week, and I've got them since the day we started in 2002. And you can see, as I look at it now, you can see four clear different slopes. So there was from 2002 to 2008, and then, and then the 2008-2009 recession came, and we lost half our business in six months. Um, the per diem, but the home care kicked in. Anyway, there's a slope. There's one clear slope at that point. There's another clear slope, slope in the recovery that goes to about 2015 when we, we um, canceled one of our business units in Maine that was just upside down. It was just wasn't going to be profitable. And that, that second slope is markedly steeper than the first. So we, we had we, 2008 happened, boom, but we came out stronger, better, faster. Then we had that self-inflicted wound in 2015, third slope, better fit, faster, steeper. And then going into COVID, really 2019 was tricky for us with all the recruiting. There was full employment. It was really hard to get field staff. We, we didn't turn into that quick enough. So we were struggling on our own COVID hits. But then since then, we're on a fourth slope, which is even steeper. So you see four different slopes, and each one is steeper than the one before. And I look at that now, and I look at those points, the 2008 recession, which was awful to, to, to manage a company through, and some of these other things, closing the business unit, awful. Um, COVID, obviously awful. So, but, but in each, each and every time, we're, we're better coming out than going in. Isn't it amazing? And I love that. Yeah, me too. Isn't it amazing how sometimes it takes adversity to like bring out the best in you. I know it sounds like a cliche, but coming out of this uh, quarantine, so many of our friends and clients have improved their fundamental oh, yeah. businesses. Yeah, I'd say it's not even sometimes. It's, yeah, that's right. the only time we've gotten better. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Say say more about the 2015. Uh, like, it sounds like you guys uh, maybe tripped a little bit. Well. What we tripped at is we didn't have we didn't we didn't pay attention to your book that says get a good CFO get good help. Um, we we finally we we had lumped uh, home care and community health up in Maine into just one P and L, and it and we started asking the question. Um, without going into too much detail, we had two different offices and they, they were both having different P&Ls. One was heavier with the children's services, one was heavier with home care, but, but the one that wasn't doing as well had more hours. So I said, listen, I, let me just split this up and look at how this looks once we separate out the business units. They were both profitable, one more profitable than the other. When we sliced it separately and looked at home care versus community health, 
we were getting killed on home care. We were losing money. It was impossible to make money. The reimbursement rate from the state of Maine was fourteen ninety eight an hour, and we, from that we had to pay people. And I mean, it, it, just, it was insane. And um, so the minute we saw that, and it was crystal clear, and I remember calling Allie and say, Allie, we got to close it. I mean, I, I don't mind. This is important work, and, it's, and we're helping we're helping vulnerable people. And I don't need to make a killing doing it, but I can't be, you know, pouring away money like this. Right, you're actually endangering the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and we got that thing closed in two months. We were in the Pratt. We got a lot. We were the I think we were the biggest home care provider in Maine, or one of them. And we talked to Maine, and we said, "Listen, guys, I mean, you got to fix this. Yeah, but, you know, you can't get the state to do anything at speed." So we said, "Okay." We're out. We're, we didn't abandon any of the people. We transitioned them to other clients, and we did the best we could. We transitioned our employees, but we lost five or six thousand billable hours out of maybe twenty. Yeah. I mean, we lost a quarter of our company. Yeah, but it was, it was. We were much healthier coming out. Yeah. So, so as you led the company through these times, and you thought about making those kinds of fundamental, foundational challenges, you. Um, did you still have the four stockholders? Or no, two guys were gone. Two. I'm trying. To, we got they. They. We bought them out. Uh, probably about ten years ago now. Yeah. So, so they were out for this 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And so you and and your partner Jay and so, you know, a lot of people who listen to this have organizations where they know that like one of the things that helps their organization is role clarity in the leadership. How did you two work that out? Did you have different functional areas or how did that work? It kind of, it evolved. First we separated geographically. So Jay handled the New Hampshire per diem and home care. I didn't mind traveling. Um, he, he had uh, kids in sports and he wanted to stay close to New Hampshire and watch their games and stuff on the weekend and on the weekdays, which is great. Um, so I said, listen, let me take, I'll take Maine and Rhode Island I, I can't remember if we even had Mass at the time. And, and he kept New Hampshire, and it was a relatively even split. And then um, and then I still did, I did all the finance, um, the payroll, um, the billing, or, or a team that worked for me did. You know, we grew that team. That's part me being a control freak and part me being, you know, pretty good at it. And um, so and so we, we just naturally split that way. Um, so we each had our, our territory, and and your team could see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, realistically, we we I'm sure we could have communicated it better and communicated with each with with each other better. Um, you know, we we ended up getting on different paths with different goals, and they were both very valid. But but, you know, the company it it, it made it tough for us together to run the company because, like I said, we did have different goals. So then when we um, you know, as we, as we, as that became more and more of a problem and Jay got closer to retirement and then, then we came up with the idea, or I think our, our accountants helped us with the idea of, you know, you, we, we can both achieve our goals, um, by going through this capitalization, let Jay get his money and exit and, and, and have a great happy ending, which he, which he's had and let me get some of that, but also, um, see to the future of MAS, which is important to me. So it, it worked out great for both of us. It really did. Did we handle it as well in hindsight as, as I would have wanted? Probably not, and, and I own a bunch of that. But, you know, it, it worked out. We did the best we could. And, you know, all high-achieving entrepreneurs are control freaks, Ken. Okay. <laughs> That's just the way it okay, is. Okay, check. Yeah, check. So I think um, when we first met, uh, it was in this room. Yeah. And actually, I think I was in your seat and you were in this seat. Yeah. Uh, and I was uh, super impressed with the story that you told uh, about the growth of the business, the beginning of the business, the growth of the business. And I was also focused on kind of where you are at the time because I was trying to understand, could we be helpful to you and bring mm -hmm. value to you? But you had, you and Jade somehow decided to, maybe with the help of your accountants, to go to the market, the private market, and think about a recap. And um, the first uh, swing at bat didn't work out super great. And I just wondered if you could just give us a couple lessons from that, if there were any, for the, those who are listening. Yeah, sure. So um, the first one didn't work out because we didn't 
find the right partner. And I think it was because the, f- the first firm we used um, was well-known in the industry or is well-known in the industry and good good group of guys. They were, they were, they were a small firm. Um, but they, they, their goal, listen, they're, they're in the business to do deals. So they had us, we were valuable. They had, they had um, private equity firms and others that they dealt with before. And they're just doing a match. Um, I don't want to say they weren't focused on doing a good match, but really they were just focused on doing a match. So somebody raises their hands and say, we're interested. And, that, ooh, and Jay and I are very naive in this. So we would just, yeah, sign a letter of intent, not realizing right away that that, that meant you know an exclusive period. Anyway, so we went, th- we went through a couple rounds with different companies that, that um, these guys got us in touch with. And the last- A couple of rounds of pot- with potential investors. Yep, potential. And in each of which you maybe had Signed some preliminary document with, yeah, and were you and you were hopeful that those were going to happen? Was it anxi- was it anxious? Was it you know? not? Well, the first one um, didn't like part two of our four business units, which doesn't make sense because, well, I mean, it makes sense that they don't like it, but it, 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 we didn't hide that from them. That should have been obvious on day one. But anyway, the second one, um, we we were signed sealed. That was that was a done deal. Um, and I, fi- I finally pulled the plug on that. It just didn't feel, it wasn't the right partner. It was a bunch of money and it was gonna work out great and the, 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 the brokers were happy and certainly the guy that was buying us was happy. And, but I remember- But you weren't happy. No, and I remember, I was with Susie, we were driving up to Maine and I got the email or something and she looks at me and goes, what's the matter? I said, I think I just sold the company. And she goes, it looks like one of the kids just told you they were sick. And, and then I remember waking up that night, like at two in the morning, it was running around my head and I just sat up straight and just said, I'm not selling anything. It just wasn't right. It wasn't right. It didn't feel right. It wasn't the right partner. They, he wasn't going to be bad at, at all, but it just wasn't like I had this vision, well, which I described earlier. We, we need this new CEO. I know exactly, or I feel like I know what we need next to, to continue to skyrocket. And this wasn't it. And it just wasn't. I just wasn't going to settle. And so I think when we first met, you laughed at, because I said to you, man, I feel so much empathy and compassion for you. You've been, that, what you've been through is a really rough education. I mean, that's, there's a lot of hopes and dreams that you pin on something happening and then you change your mind or they change their mind. And you went through a couple of those and somehow we, luckily for, for us, and we, we got together and got to work with you. Um, could you just, how did, how did that work out in terms of, through the process, were you feeling differently than you had with your your first? A whole, a whole different, yeah. And well, Com- how did you feel differently? Because how did I feel differently working with with you guys? Yeah. Because it was crystal clear that you, the people of Bigelow, were focused on us finding the right partner. Now the valuation and all these other things come with it. Um, they're all part of the deal, and I don't want to minimize them, but. The, the, the center of the bullseye for me was finding the right partner. And, and that was crystal clear that that was important to you guys, um, partly maybe because of the experience we had gone through, but we, we, we certainly knew of Bigelow for, for 10 or 12 years and why we didn't get together with you earlier, I don't know, I certainly regret it. Well, maybe I don't, maybe it's good that, I mean, it all worked out fine. So, um, but, Here's the the first conversation I had with Rob and I think Warren. You know what you guys never asked our revenue? You never asked our EBITDA? It never came up in an hour conversation. We talked to a bunch of other firms after this one went sideways. And without a doubt, the first question or two was were those two things. And then they go on about you know all the fuzzy stuff. But wait a minute, you just you show me who you are. You're you're you're, you're a multiple. I mean that's and and that those are the mechanics of the deal. I get that at some point those need to come up, but I do remember uh, specifically that that never came up in the first hour conversation. Neither did a commitment to work with us. Neither did a commitment. You didn't ask for a commitment from us. It was simply one hour. Let's get to know each other. Yeah, I think in those first hours, we're usually trying to understand uh, if you're in an industry that we can bring value to, Mm -hmm. and are you a company that we can bring value to, and the most important thing of all is do we have chemistry Mm -hmm. so that we can bring value to each other, because Mm -hmm. we know through our experience of doing 
literally hundreds of transactions, that they're going to be rough spots. Mm -hmm. And so when they're going to be rough spots, it's our personal relationships, yours and mine, Rob's, Warren's, that gets us through that. Mm -hmm. That's through those rough spots, which we're going to inevitably have. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, we need to identify those things or else we just can't do the work. Yeah. So um, it worked out great, and now you are, find yourself in a different role. Uh, you're an important investor in the business. How much time are you going to continue to spend in the business, do you think? I don't know. Um, How much time do you want to spend in the business? You know, I, probably about half time. Uh, but but that'll so the new CEO we we've talked about this and and I was under the assumption I I expected her to say okay give me the keys let's spend two days and then get out of here I, I don't you know I don't need you floating around here making people nuts and I, and, and I'd be fine with that um, if if that's what she thought the best path forward was but she said she's worked she's currently working with a with um at a company where the owner stayed on for like 10 years full time with her. Yeah. So she, she's got, she is, I got a lot of confidence. I'll tell you what, she beats me. She's got a ton of self confidence and feels no threat by that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want to do that. I'm sickly, I'm definitely not sticking around 10 more years full time, but I will, I feel confident that between her and I will find a role where I can add value. I got no interest in just putting in hours. It, wh however, and wherever I can add value, Let's talk about it. So it occurs to me that in the timeline that you've described, uh, that there are certain times in your life where you have a chance to push the reset button. Mm -hmm. So in your life, it might have been when you graduated from college and you went to work for Tandy. There was one. Or when you left Tandy and did the next thing. I don't know, but maybe it's when you get married. For some people, it's when they get unmarried. Mm -hmm. uh, it might have been for you when you left the MAS one and you recreated MAS again. Mm -hmm. And then there was a couple others. It seems to me like you're on the cusp of another chapter. Oh, yeah. Life. Yeah. What chapter would you say this is? So we so we've got the the property in in Bar Harbor and we're building a house there. We're going to move up there. And, and have you always had a property there? No, no, no. We, we and, and why Bar Harbor? So the specifically why Bar Harbor was we would visit there and we would just love it there and I think what we love about it is it's to me it's very interesting and relatively complex you know you've got the ocean you've got the the, the forest you've got the mountains you've got I mean we literally walk out of our backyard and, and we're right down at the bold at Otter Cliff which is a hundred foot cliff it's beautiful and we see we see you know seals chasing fish and all this stuff going out there we go a different direction and we're up on the top of uh, champlain or one of these mountains just looking over these bald mountains and yes. just i mean it's just it's there's mossy areas there's different forests there's marshes there's everything right outside our yard um and we just love it there and and um so as, as we were thinking about where would we end up, it needs to be an interesting spot. So we, we don't need the suburbs anymore. We, we loved Bedford, um, but that's not, that's, not gonna, that's not gonna do it. Interestingly, or ironically, the second, it was between Boston and Bar Harbor, because yeah. Boston, you know, a city and all yeah. that that brings would be interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe you'll do both. Yeah, maybe we'll do both. Yeah, yeah. We got kids. We got uh, one of my daughters is in Boston, so we'll visit her. So, anyway, we ended up up there, or we're, we're going up there, and we're really excited about it. And every visit we make up there, we just we just love it. Will that become your primary residence? Yeah. And um, will you have other business uh, ideas that you might hatch from there? I, you know, I don't think so. I think it'll be. I really want to explore a whole different side of me. I want to get into, I want to work on crafts or art or woodworking or make pickles. I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Well, say, say, say more about crafts or art or woodworking. So you, do you have a specific craft that you love to do now? No, no, no. I'm going to get really good at something that I've never done. Okay. I, how are you going to approach that? I'm gonna just try a bunch of things. I, I had mentioned learning the guitar. Scotty gave me, my my son gave me a guitar last year. I'll see that, I, I'm not that optimistic about being good at guitar. But I am, I do wanna work on, I love earrings, I love, I love. I would love to learn how to make wood, really nice wood watches. Um, Wait, what's a wood watch? 
I, my daughter, one of my daughter, my my uh, daughter Erin got married, and for her gift to me, she gave me a wood a watch made out of wood. I'd never seen it, and but, I get a lot of compliments on that thing. But so so the case of the watch is made out of wood. Yeah, the the ra- yeah. And what about the interior of the watch? I think it's still got a regular mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I don't know much about it yet, but I'm going to learn. Yeah. <laughs> there is such a thing as a wood watch because I have one, but you don't see them often. And uh, so maybe I'm going to, I just won't create a company. I'll create an industry. <laughs> and and um, so I don't know. I really want to explore that. I, I feel like I'm not a particularly creative person. So I want to see if that's true and, or if a non-creative person can, can, can develop that. Oh, I want to challenge oh, buddy, myself buddy, I'm going to challenge you on that. Yeah. Because, look, being an entrepreneur is a creative yeah. endeavor, period, end of subject. It's yeah. complete creativity. I mean, you took a, wh- a bright, white, empty canvas, mm-hmm. and you went through your savings, and yeah. you went yeah. and put you know, 100 grand into this business, and you've created a beautiful, beautiful painting out of yeah. that. Now, maybe what you do is switch canvases. I'm, I give you that. Yeah. But, but – Oh, I can hardly wait to hear what happens yeah. next. Yeah, that's very Painting cool. might be another one. Watercolors. Yeah. I'm going to try all of those things. We've got an area in the garage that could be, a, um, you know, a craft area. I, and it'll be smaller. Like now it's a, it's a big company, $100 million company, and, and I love all the people and the interactions, but it's big and it's complex. And I'm looking forward to just Susan and I living in Maine, and um, creating a life there that's simpler and that that's hobby based and 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 you know we don't have two thousand employees to worry about but it's just me and her you know making wood watches or whatever we do I, it, it probably doesn't even matter much what we do. It's an interesting refrain though, Ken, that uh, my friends, our friends who are our entrepreneur, owner, manager clients, frequently do get to a place where. They've created this thing, and it's super successful. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you would answer this question, but many times people would say it actually was more successful than they had originally hoped. Oh, sure. In your case, that's true? Yes. And yet, at some point, the responsibility of making it continuously successful for all those employees and for all of the people issues and the complexity can become feeling a little bit like handcuffs for some entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who say, I want to go do it in a different way. Yeah. Do you resonate with that? Yeah, some, somewhat. Although, back to what I initially said, I really feel strongly that this company is going to do best with different leadership. If, if I felt differently, if I felt, listen, I'm the man and, and I got to do this and because and, and I'm – 57 and got plenty of energy i i, I got to be doing something for a while and and if i was going to be right for mas but i can see it and and you know what the senior leadership team can see it too that they're ready for the next person um so it's not as much me saying i've had enough i'm tapping out it's me saying i got to get this company this company deserves the right person and if it's not me it's not me i'll don't worry about me i'll find something to do there's a pl- gazillion things to do. I'll be perfectly happy. It sounds like there's a gazillion things on your plate. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be interested in some future time of asking you, how did you decide how to find your way through that stream of opportunities? Because really, what you're describing, I think, mm-hmm. is a guy who maybe for the first time in your whole life will be able to have the resources, both time mm-hmm. and uh, location, if you move to a different location, mm-hmm. and obviously financial and other things to be able to say, I can just go up and take whatever swings at bat I want, mm-hmm. or I can choose not to swing at all. Yeah. No, I'm going to swing at something. I'm going to keep swinging until I hit. But, like, my brother and sister are both, they both have had, like, two lives. My sister was um, a tech uh, person, I think, in QA and, and a technologist, and then she went to law school at like in her 40s and is now a lawyer for uh, for Veterans Affairs in Connecticut. And my brother was in the Navy and an officer in the Navy and he got out and now he's in, now he's down in New York, you know, on Wall Street. So they've had two different lives. And so like, boy, isn't that a cool, instead of doing one thing for 40 years, I'm going to do, I did one for 20 and I'm going to do something probably completely different for the next 20 or awesome. 30. Yeah. And I, I really look forward to that. Yeah. What are you going to let go of? 
Uh, well, control of the company. You did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Does that feel okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You think that's it? They're going to let go of any other complexities in life? Yeah, I don't think so. The kids are all grown. They're they're building their own lives. So, I mean, I'm there for them, but, but that's... Um, doesn't take much time. Um, yeah, it's just me and Sue on the, on the next chapter. So many of the people listening to the podcast are entrepreneurs, but some of them are also are will be entrepreneurs. Some of them are students. Given your past 20 or 30 years of experience, if you were going to give a smart, uh, driven, uh, I don't know, let's say college-age student, who said they want to become an entrepreneur. If you're going to give them some advice, what advice would you give them? Well, first I would say, you're out of your mind, don't do it. Because? Because I think I think that I, it's just crazy. It doesn't, like if I had a choice, I would have done something else. I really feel like I didn't much have a choice. And I would tell them that, and I would, I would um, stress to them that this ride is going to be nuts. And you've heard people compare it to a roller coaster ride, but you know, a roller coaster ends with um, <laughs> with, with your hands in the air and a big <laughs> smile on your face, and somebody saying, "Hey, Daddy, can we go again?" These roller coaster rides end with a car going flying off the tracks, crashing into a building, and, the, and an ambulance sound in the <laughs> distance. Usually, um, it didn't work out that way for us. So, so I would try to scare them out of it. And if that didn't work. If if that worked, then they were never meant to be an entrepreneur. And if 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 they were just dead on determined to do it, I to me, we're six, we work hard at MAS. I work hard. Everybody that works there works hard. Um, we're not oh, the smartest people, but we can make it up by just working hard. I got to tell you, uh, you you're in the Bigelow lore. For oh, in, a, in a number of entries. Oh God! But one of the entries that I most enjoyed was one day uh, uh, our team came back from visiting you, and I said, "How'd it go?" And they said, "You never believe what Ken and Sue's did this weekend." I said, "What?" They said they painted the building. I said, "What do you mean oh, they yeah. painted the building?" They said, "Well, we must have been a little careless with our with our uh, discussion with Ken last week, where we may have made a remark about, gee, the building could use a little uh, tuning up.'" And the next thing we know, he and his wife were out there painting it. Yeah. Yep, we were. Yeah, we did. We, oh, man, that was a brutal weekend. Yeah, it needed it. Um, and you guys identified that. So <laughs> Sorry about that. No, not at all. If you, uh, if you could magically invent a drug that could uh, put you in any sort of mood, what mood would that be? The one I'm in. Which is? I'm happy. I'm content. I, I, this weekend... One of my daughters got married, and oh, I'm, wow, so, I'm so proud yeah. Yeah, of her. And you know what? It's funny. So I've got, I've had two daughters now get married, and each each of those weddings ends with me on the side of the dance floor, just looking at my kids and my wife, and just and interacting with each other and all their friends, and just I, it's I couldn't be more proud. Those days are two of the best days of my life. That's awesome. So I'm still in a, a little bit of a hangover from that. I'm so proud of them. That's great. Where did I that take them. place? That was in Dalia up in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. 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 Great. Yeah, it was a great time, great weekend. So um, I'm, I'm naturally pretty upbeat, very optimistic. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't need any drug. I'm, I'm just fine. Trying to look at the date on my watch. I think it's true that today is August eighth, two thousand twenty. September eighth. Sorry, September eighth, yep. two thousand twenty-one. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm still in the middle of the summer. Yeah, me too. Uh, All right, let's go with August eighth. <laughs> if we were to go to sleep tonight, and magically we wake up tomorrow, and it's August ninth, two thousand and twenty-four, and we have this meeting, we have a coffee together, and you say, "Pete, you'll never believe it." The last three years were the best three years of my life, personally and professionally. I say, really? What happened? What happened? Well, I learned how to make wooden watches or or paint in watercolors. I'll be really good. Well, in three years, I don't know. I will have identified what I'm going to get good at, and I'm going to get really good 
at something at the next that I can't that I can't do now that I've never even tried now, and I'm excited for that. Um, I need that challenge. I want that challenge. I need a challenge, and that seems like a good one. So were you were you unwilling to specify that challenge while you were still the full time guide or leader of MAS? You mean to try to you know, have a hobby and work? Well, or, or to be specific about, because this idea of an, another chapter, another challenge didn't mm-hmm. come from nowhere. You must have been thinking about it for a period of time. And I'm knowing you, you're probably gleefully sort of rubbing your hands. Out, oh, maybe I'll make wooden watches. Maybe I'll do water yeah. Maybe I'll take up the guitar. Maybe yeah. I'll do whatever. Yeah. Maybe I'll hike the 4,000-foot peaks. I don't know. Yeah. You could come up with an infinite. Yeah. I'm just asking, did you consciously try to like put that down in yourself and say, no, I'm going to actually complete this first? Oh, 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 sure, yeah. Um, when I'm home, I'm working. So it's hard for me to, yeah, I'm, I'm all MAS at home, and, and that really consumes me, other than, the, the, well, I got two things, the family and, and, and the company. And now that I'll be spending a lot of time with the company, and hopefully more time with the family as they come and visit and Bar Harbor and so forth, then... Um, I'll need something else to fill that time and fill some of the social, you know, aspects that 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 work provides. You know, Sue's has a friend. I don't really have a friend group. I just have work and and my interactions there. So I'll develop that. I mean, it'll just be a new life. Like I said before, my brother and sister. It'll just be a separate second life. Um, so I've thought of that idea in general. I definitely thought. I mean, we didn't end up at Barbara Axon. Susan and I spent a lot of time thinking, okay, where next? Not that we have to go anywhere. Maybe the answer is right here in Bedford, New Hampshire. So, I mean, we're near, we we, we would be near a couple of the kids. That's the one downside of moving to Bar Harbor. But anyway, it's like we thought, we spent years contemplating all different scenarios. And we couldn't find one place that would just suit us for the whole year. Because, you know, Maine's going to be cold in February and March or in January. So, but but then once we said, all right, where would we love to be for eight or nine months? And then, I mean, that was easy. Great. That was easy for us. Yeah. And we'll, we'll find a way to travel the other three months. So, and so as we're going through that, so now what are we going to do? And you just start to contemplate this next life. Um, and the, and the, yeah, and the, the details aren't all filled in, but the idea of it is, is certainly there. Ken, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. Well, my pleasure. It's been great fun. Yeah, it it is fun. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. We believe that entrepreneur owner managers are the most powerful pro-social and pro-economic force on the planet. And it's for that reason that we dedicate our firm, Bigelow, to working exclusively with them. At Positive Enterprise Value, we freely share our learning so that you can absorb from the experiences of other private business owners with skin in the game, just like you. Bigelow is widely regarded as the M&A advisor that deals exclusively with high-performing entrepreneur owner managers. Our scrappy independent boutique firm only offers one service, that is to help build and someday capture enterprise value. You can find all of the episodes on this podcast on Bigelow's website, which is bigelowllc.com.